You want to know it smells good? Native deodorant. Go to nativedeodorant.com and get 20% off your first order today. Make sure to use the promo code BRAIN during checkout to get your discount. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I think I have a good topic to talk about today, and that is using your loved ones, those closest to you, as your verbal punching bag. It's a terrible way to put it. And uh, I use that because it can seem like you're beating them up. Or when someone does it to you, it can seem like you're being beat up. Now, I'm not talking about the physical part. I'm talking about when people are expressing to you in a way that feels not loving. It feels hurtful, even. Somebody comes home from work and they had a hard day at work and you say, hi, honey. Or, how you doing, um, son? Or, how are you doing, daughter? And they say, shut up to you. I don't want to, I just want to go to my bedroom and I just want to be quiet. I just want silence. And so that can happen where you're talking to someone and they just go off on you. They just take out all their frustrations and all their anger, or at least the built up energy, the built up pressure inside them from the day, from the event, and then you become the verbal punching bag. So even when you have good intentions, somebody can go off on you. I can relate to this when my girlfriend doesn't eat (laughs) for a while. She will go off on me. She'll say something. She'll be upset or angry or bitter or start lashing out at me. And I'll think, whoa, where did that come from? I just had a simple question. You don't have to go off. You don't have to get so angry. And um, she won't even realize she's doing it. She doesn't even realize why she's lashing out. And then she'll eat a peanut butter cracker and suddenly, hey, blood sugar's level again and her emotional state is stabilized and suddenly she's a different person. And that happens. You know it happens. You know people, maybe yourself, that go through this. When you get tired, when your blood sugar's low or when the chemical imbalance is off or whatever. Our emotional state is definitely closely tied into our physical state, which is why it's important to keep your physical state as healthy as you can. Do the best you can there because your mind is affected. And when you are in a decreased state of resilience, a decreased state of filtering, if I can use that word, when you don't have the energy to filter what else is in there, any frustrations, any angers, any built up pressure, then it can come out. I've experienced this myself. If I'm really tired, 
then I just don't want to deal with anybody or anything. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with someone else's conversation, their kindness, their anger. I don't want to deal with anything. I just want to be left alone. And so that happens to all of us. There are times in our life we just want to be left alone. What we need in our life when we want to be left alone is somebody who understands that. Now, this episode isn't all about, hey, leave people alone that lash out at you, but it is about understanding that some people can be in this state of mind and um, hopefully it's only temporary. And there is a difference. There's a difference between somebody who has a temporary state of mind like this and someone who seems to be in permanent upset. Those in permanent upset, my theory behind most people that are in permanent upset is that they have something that they want to say or do, yet they stop themselves from saying or doing that, and they hold it in, and they get angry, or they're holding an anger, and they decide not to express that anger, and they keep it to themselves, so it comes out in other destructive ways. And a good example of that is when I was married, and I always had angry thoughts about my wife's emotional eating. This is when I was unhealthy and I was not supportive. I was emotionally abusive. I definitely needed to heal in many ways. But uh, when I was in that space, I had all this anger inside of me and I tried not to let it out. I didn't want her to think I was a jerk all the time um, because I actually did care. But there were times when it just came out and it would be surprising and it would be hurtful and it made her feel bad. And when that came out, It was because I could not hold it back. I suppose if I really tried, I could hold it back. But then I felt like I wasn't able to express myself and I couldn't be honest with her. There were a a mix of emotions and thoughts back then. But the point is, um, there were times when I did not have enough energy, enough resilience, or enough compassion for her in order to override what I was really feeling. And so the pressure build up inside of me uh, came out in destructive ways. And it was not healthy for the relationship and it was hurtful to her. And it certainly wasn't helpful to me to be able to express like that because all it did was create more negativity in the environment and also reinforce any of the unhealed stuff inside of me. Because back then I was highly judgmental, so that needed healing. And I couldn't step into that healing. All I did was just express my judgments and my criticisms. And even though I could hold back a lot of the time, I carried it around with me. And like I said, it came out in destructive ways. So when you're unable to heal through that and talk to your best friend or an expert to help you get out of that state it sticks around. So this is what I'm talking about with the the person who's in permanent upset. I was permanently emotionally triggered, but I held back because I actually cared and I actually loved her in the only way that I knew how. And I figured out ways to withhold my anger and my frustrations and my irritations. But it wasn't good enough because you can walk around emotionally triggered and withhold all that stuff And it still comes out. 
And sometimes it comes out even in even worse ways because what it happens is it builds up. So you carry it around, you withhold it, and you think you're doing well, and then it builds up, and then it comes out in a very destructive way. And you know, some people do this. This is what happens. And this is what happens in relationships, any type of relationship. It can sneak in there, and suddenly someone's going off on us, and we're thinking, what the heck did I say? What the heck did I do? Why are they so sensitive? That's the words that can come out. Why are they so angry? Why are they so aggressive? I've said that in my own relationship a few times. Why is she so aggressive? I can't handle this. And then when she figures out that she was hangry, hungry and angry, she is able to stabilize herself with food. And so not emotionally eating, but she just hasn't eaten in six hours or something. And when that stabilization comes, she's a different person. And so this is important to know that some people in your life, maybe they don't mean to be that way. And if they are stable a lot of the times, maybe it was because they have something that stabilizes them like food or medication or something else, sleep, exercise, whatever it is. If there's a stabilizer for them, they need to, of course, do it more often, keep that balance so that they're not using you as a verbal punching bag or you're not using someone else as a verbal punching bag because that just doesn't make a great relationship. It makes a no fun relationship. I don't want to be in a relationship like that. And when it happens in my life, and I suggest this to you as well, you step out of being offended for the moment. And that's very, very hard to do. Even now, I mean, she'll say things that hit a nerve and I'll think, what the heck is your problem? And I'll want to honor myself because I teach boundaries and I honor my boundaries and I think they're important. And here I am trying to honor my boundaries, realizing that my boundaries aren't, aren't necessarily the issue here. Because if I honored my boundaries to the extreme, I'd probably walk out the door. My boundaries aren't the issue. My perception is. My perception is that I'm actually the problem for her when I'm just a trigger for her response. So my behavior, my words, no matter what I said, would be a trigger. I could say the perfect thing that would be helpful to her and that would be loving toward her in because she's in that low state that her defenses are down, her resilience is down, her toleration is down, maybe lack of sleep, maybe lack of food, then I'm going to get some sort of aggressive, snappy response that I'm not going to really like. But at the same time, hopefully my perception is, oh, she must be in that low state. And I'm just going to step back, not be triggered, even though it might be difficult, and realize uh, once she gets back into that balanced state, that's who I'm dealing with. That's who the real person is. Because if you've ever walked around with no sleep and you're hungry and you just don't want to deal with anyone and then someone comes up and you have to deal with them, you're going to be short with them. You might be an expert at people pleasing and figure out how to talk with them so it isn't offensive, but that takes up a lot of energy and you can only do that for so long. Eventually you get pushed. You get pushed so far. And these other people aren't really pushing you. You just don't have the bandwidth. You don't have any bandwidth to accept anyone else's energy in your sphere, if you want to put it that way. 
It's like you've been on the phone with support for the last four hours, and if they tell you one more time to restart your computer, you're going to lose it. <laughs> if you've ever been on the phone with support, you know what I mean, and I don't make fun of computer support people here. Uh, it's just that sometimes we need someone else in our life, and even though we need them, they're frustrating us. Just like in relationships, are the closest people in our lives are usually the ones that we use as verbal punching bags. And that is sad because it would be a lot easier to do that to the jerk that cut you off in line at the grocery store than the person that is spending time with you every day, that wants to be with you every day, that has actually chosen to keep you in their lives. You know, if it's a romantic relationship, they might share the same bed with you every single night. Or if it's a family relationship, you might talk to them often or see them a lot. And they are choosing to spend time with you because they love you, because they want to see you. Whoever it is in your life, it is curious how we choose the closest people in our lives to let out the most anger and frustration toward. These are the people that choose to be around us, that want to be around us, that want to see us. And yet we unload a barrage of negativity toward them. I mean, I know why. I mean, this is my opinion, but I, I believe that when we are close to someone, they can see through most of our defenses anyway, and that allows us to be more vulnerable with them. Uh, it allows us to feel more safe to be ourselves around them, and being ourselves might mean showing more of us to them all the good and the bad. And because of that, because of that safe feeling, and because we probably know how they'll respond and react to how we behave, we feel more safe to be expressive, even to be angry, to be mean, to be hurtful. Because there's an understanding that even though I could lose it, even though I can be angry, this person won't just run off and leave me high and dry as their friend or their lover or their wife or their husband, it's not going to reach that point. At least that's the thought process. So being hurtful or expressing a lot of negativity toward them or yelling at them, being aggressive toward them is going to be okay because we'll get through it. And hopefully that's true. But at the same time, hopefully the person unloading that barrage of negativity doesn't continue doing it and doesn't do it often. When it happens often or it's a permanently triggered state, that's when it's a problem. And um, I think you need to be aware and perceptive and observant of your own behavior and how often you might unload and unleash that more aggressive side to the people that you love. Because if they become the verbal punching bag for your attack, then the people we love will become the people that don't want to be near us. And that creates a scenario that we don't want. And um, I think one of the most important things to, to remember is that, A, this will likely happen in your life with someone at some time or many times. And it's just good to remember that, yes, this can happen and it will happen. But B, the second part of this you also have to be aware that doing this also involves the balancing of the equation of showing up with a true apology 
where you say, I, I lost it and I'm so sorry I lost it. And it should be humbling to you. It should make you feel bad that you unleashed on someone, at least if your system wasn't stable, if you weren't in your perfect homeostatic state where everything was more or less balanced. If it's not balanced and you realize it, then you should be humble enough to say, look, I didn't get enough food. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough something. And I'm so sorry. Uh, Let me make it up to you. Or at least let me just share with you what's really going on in my life. And what's interesting, I'm going to read you parts of an email in this next segment. What's interesting is that sometimes we have things that are going on in our life that, and I mentioned this earlier, that we don't express. We're holding on to these things and holding on to old past emotional baggage or emotional wounding. And we take these emotional wounds with us into our relationships and it may have nothing to do with the person that we're with. And when we unload on them and they are the target of our attack, what we're really doing is expressing probably many years of something stored up in us. Because I know when I met my wife that I definitely had judgment issues. It wasn't because we got married and it wasn't because she was emotionally eating that I was angry and resentful and critical toward her. I already had that in me. It was already there. And so when she started doing something that triggered what was already there, she got the brunt of my unhealed past. She pulled out what I hadn't addressed yet. And not that I'm blaming her, but that's what happened is that she was the stimulus, the trigger for something inside of me that I hadn't yet processed and healed from and released. And that's why it's so important before you get into relationships or after your last relationship that you take some time to address the stuff you're holding on to so you don't bring it in to the next relationship. doesn't mean you'll heal everything or cure yourself but at least acknowledging it and thinking back to your past like I had to do and remembering that I was brought up in a, a very unstable, very toxic household with a dangerous alcoholic person that I feared for my life, at least life as I knew it as a kid back then. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was always afraid around him. When he wasn't drinking, I wasn't afraid. So I guess I wasn't always afraid. But when he was drinking... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to feel. I was scared. I mean, geez, I could feel it in my body when I talk about it right now. And I've healed. (laughs) I've healed from a lot of this stuff, but there's still something in there that I carry around that I probably need more healing on. And I learn what needs healing, just like you learn what needs healing when you lash out at someone. Like, "Wow, wow, where did that come from? You can be angry at a person, but would you be angry at anyone else for that reason at all ever? Uh, Or is it only with the closest people in your life? Because the closest people in your life when you were a child were your parents and your sisters and your brothers and your uncles and aunts. And when you were close to them and they somehow made you afraid, they somehow maybe they neglected you, maybe they were abusive towards you, whatever it was that if you haven't processed it and healed it and hopefully released some or most or all of it, then your relationship bears the brunt of it when you get triggered. 
So in my marriage, I was triggered. She got everything I hadn't healed from yet. And she was super resilient, super tolerant. And eventually she was pushed over the edge. She reached the threshold and she didn't want to experience it anymore. And I've said this on the show before, but thank God she left me because if she hadn't, I wouldn't have addressed it inside of me. This is why sometimes leaving someone who is hurtful and angry and uh, resentful and critical like I was, sometimes it's the greatest gift you can give them because it gives them an opportunity to look at themselves and realize they need healing and it gives them the chance to address it. Because when I was with her, there was never enough for me to look inward and say, I absolutely have a problem and I need to resolve it as soon as possible. Or at least I need to start healing right now. I need to do something about this problem. There was no, there was not enough incentive. There was some incentive because I know she was hurting, but there wasn't enough incentive because there wasn't enough accountability. And as soon as she left, I realized, whoa, this is real. This is the message I needed to finally push me over the edge and realize that I should start addressing what I'm holding on to and what I've been holding on to since, I don't know, since I was 10 or younger. I mean, I've been holding on to some of this stuff for a long time. And I'm sure if you're listening now, you may have something inside you that you're holding on to. If you've ever been triggered by someone and it seems like an excessive response, you were overly emotional about it. Not that this is the case every time, but sometimes you'll feel like you've over-responded, you overreacted. It might be something from your past. And what ends up happening is when you start processing that stuff and start healing from it, and today's stimuli don't trigger it anymore, you know, the people in your life don't trigger those same old responses, then your relationships change. And you change because... You are no longer pointing the finger at anyone else. You're taking responsibility for your behaviors, for your responses, and for the outcomes that you're getting. Because if you are always pointing the finger outside yourself, then you'll, you'll never get the outcomes you want. You'll always wait for other people to do the exact right thing, and they can't. They, they will never be able to do the exact right thing. That's why when you heal from this stuff and you start looking at yourself and taking responsibility for yourself and for your reactions and responses to others, that's all about self-compassion and self-love, taking care of yourself, finding yourself worthy, and really understanding that what happens next is what steps you take next, not waiting for someone else to take the steps that you want them to take. And if you do take the steps that are in your best interest that benefit you, when people love you and they want to be with you and they don't want to hurt you, they just want to support you, you're going to want to have them around and they're going to want to have you around. So that's why it's nice when you start taking steps for yourself. You get to find out who the healthiest people are in your life because you're going to want them around and they're going to want you around. And it just feels good being in their presence because they are fully supportive of your path. So we got some more to talk about. I'm going to um, I'm gonna do this quick break, and then when we come back, I'm going to read you parts of this email and give you my thoughts and opinions on that. Be right back.
All right, I want you to think of the animal lover in your life or the one that loves to eat organic, the one who loves to buy things without chemicals. And when you think of this person, imagine they smelled like coconut and vanilla (laughs) or lavender and rose or cucumber and mint or eucalyptus and mint. These are the scents that native deodorant offers in their safe, simple, and effective products that are made with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. And if you need any convincing of that, just check out their 9,000 five-star reviews from their customers. Native deodorant is formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc. And they're filled with ingredients found in nature such as coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. And for the animal lovers in your life, and that might be you, who's not an animal lover? They don't test on animals, and that makes me happy. That makes my girlfriend happy. And Native is now on our permanent shopping list. Not only because it smells good, because it works. And it's filled with ingredients that we know. They believe less is more. So their products contain simple ingredients that you understand. And they want you to know what's in their deodorant. So there's something for everyone. I want you to head over to nativedeodorant.com. And when you check out, use the promo code BRAIN and you'll get 20% off your first order. And since there's no risk to try because they offer free returns and exchanges in the U.S., there's no reason not to try it. Our favorite around here is the coconut and vanilla. So if you're going to get one and you can't figure it out and you like those two cents, there's my two cents. (laughs) So again, go to nativedeodorant.com, use the promo code BRAIN during checkout, and you'll get your 20% off and maybe you'll be converted just like we were. I think you're going to love them. Welcome back. All right, I said I was going to read you parts of an email and give you some uh, of my comments, my insights on this. Let's see where we can go with it. This person I'm going to call John, he says, I'm having relationship troubles pertaining to some really bad dissociation. I take my frustrations out on my wife for not seeing my son as often as I want to or money troubles that really aren't there because of my great pay at work. I end up blaming my wife for these unprovoked trust issues. It's also spilling over into my relationship with my son and the people in my close circle say it's like I'm not there. My thought is that these episodes stem from childhood trauma with non-emotional and even abusive parental figures putting us down and punishing us for silly things like missing school just one time. I also have some minimal signs of autism and I believe it's added to my lack of friends and understanding the true difference between bullying and banter. Any info you can provide will be appreciated. All right, John, thank you so much. And um, there's a few things going on here. You know, the autism part, let me comment on that in a moment. Um, First thing I want to talk about maybe is there's good news in what you just expressed to me. The good news is that you are associated enough, meaning that you're aware that you have this issue. You are present enough, aware enough of the issues, which means you can start healing those issues, in my opinion. See, when you're dissociated, like you're using the term dissociation, when I think of dissociation, I think of being disconnected from myself. I often use when it comes to trauma or abuse is that the person going through the abuse might be so overwhelmed by the trauma 
that they dissociate. They disconnect from their external senses almost, and they just wait for the trauma to be over while they are in another part of themselves. It's like they're disconnected. It's almost out of body. And when the trauma is finally over or the shock is over, they get back in their body and they can feel again. And this is what happens when you grow older. If you don't have a memory of something traumatic that happened to you, it might be because you dissociated. So I think it's a protection mechanism inside the body. Like I want to get away from the pain and the trauma. So I'm going to lock myself up in this deeper, safer place inside me. So when I think of dissociation, that's what I think of. I think you are probably referring to it in a similar way, but not with trauma, but in everyday circumstances, although you might be accessing trauma when you're triggered. So you might say something or do something, and it feels like some other part of you is doing it. You, can, you might think to yourself, what just happened? Uh, I did it, but it, it didn't feel like me. And, and some people might call that the old term multiple personality disorder, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, they have another term for it. But the way I see it, I don't think this is a multiple personality, but the way I see it is that you are, like you said, dissociated or disconnected from that person that did that behavior. And when you reassociate with yourself, you remember that behavior, but you don't know what happened to you. You don't know why you did it. You just jumped into this other state of mind. Now, I'm a little beyond my pay grade here when I talk about this stuff. I have not studied that intensely. So these are definitely more opinions than researched facts in my life. But um, that's the way I look at it is that when you do something that seems uncharacteristic of you, that you might be getting a defense mechanism triggered. Somebody does something, it triggers you, you become protective of yourself. So you lock that part of you away for safekeeping while another part of you takes over. And so, yeah, you could call that dissociation. I'm not, I wasn't disagreeing with that term. I was just telling you my definition of it in case anyone listening wasn't understanding where you were going with it. So that's my interpretation of what you said. So like I said, the good news is that you are associated in your body present enough and aware to know that you have an issue, which means you can work with it. While you're associated, you can work with it. If you were completely dissociated the whole time, if you were disconnected from yourself the whole time, and you really didn't have a memory of doing what you were doing, then you might be dealing with some other major psychological issue that you have to have checked out. But from what you're telling me, um, you can work with this. Okay, you know you did something, you know you reacted a certain way, you can work with it. You can look at that behavior and you can self-analyze and start working on steps to figure it out. The second thing you mentioned was very specific to your wife not seeing your son as often as you want her to. And I'm going to make the assumption that your wife is not his mom. And I hope I'm right about that, but it makes sense from the context of how you wrote it. So if your wife is not his mom, I'm going to be a little bit tough on you for this. And I I do so out of love and respect for your situation and love and respect for your family and you and everything that you're going through. I'm going to say something that might sound offensive, but I do so in hopes that you will understand the underlying message here and maybe it'll help you get over this small part of what's going on. 
my thought on this is that your wife is your wife, not his mom. So, like I said, that sounds a little harsh because she may have taken on that role or she may have agreed to play some part in your family as a mother figure. And I don't know the whole story. I only know this tiny, tiny little snippet of your life. But your wife is your wife, not his mom. What I mean by that is for someone to join a family that is already established, like you and your son, you are already established. That's a huge commitment. And it speaks volumes about her. It speaks volumes about anyone that goes into a family to assume a certain role, knowing that there will be responsibilities and obligations to that person because of other family members. It's like when I got together with my girlfriend at the time, she had a 13, 14, 14 year old son. And I knew that in some capacity, I was going to be a a father figure to him. And me not having children, not ever being a father, had to accept that with my girlfriend comes her son as well. With her comes her family. And stepping into that role, I knew that I could only act in such a capacity that was allowed by her son and by her and also by his father. In coming into this family that already existed, I really had to be aware that I was going to be presented with a circumstance that I had to be open and willing to adapt and shift in a way that supported the family. Now, when I say that, it almost sounds like I am expecting your wife to do the same thing. But the reality is, I am not my girlfriend's son's father. Therefore, if she said, I wish you would spend more time with my son, at least when we first met, I might say, but he has a father. And I don't mind spending more time with him, but if he doesn't want to spend more time with me, I'm not going to force it upon him. So it could be an important thing to her if she really wanted me to spend more time with him. Uh, This is probably something we should have talked about before we got into a relationship that she wanted me to be his stepfather or more of a dad figure in his life. And if that was presented to me in the beginning and I really wanted a relationship with her, I would have probably agreed to that because, you know, I love her son. He's definitely an integral part of the family and in my life now. But in the beginning, if I was expected to show up more and be with him more and be a part of his life, it would have seemed a little bit strange to me. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And I'm, I know I'm kind of on thin ice here. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I also see that her relationship with her son is her relationship. And if she demanded, and that's a strong word, but if she demanded me to have more time with him, me being this outsider to the family, I would feel a little bit pressured to show up in a way that maybe I wasn't ready to show up for. Because I, you know, I haven't really bonded yet and I'm still getting to know my girlfriend, even though it might have been a year or two, there's still things that I'm sorting out in my own mind. And it's not that I wouldn't mind being in a family, but my point is when someone shows up in your life and they make that commitment to you, knowing that you have other family, unless it's agreed upon that that person's going to take on a parental role, 
it might be a little bit presumptuous to assume that they should spend more time with your children, with your family. It might be a little bit presumptuous. You know, you have a one-year-old son, so it's possible that you guys talked in the beginning and maybe she should spend more time with him because that was your original agreement. But if she came into the relationship without that agreement and you just started dating and you got to know each other and she likes your son and everything's great, but now you want her to spend more time with him and act as his mom, I just want you to remember that your wife is your wife, not his mom. She may want to be that. She may want to become his mom. And, you know, I don't know if the other mom is still around, if she's dead or alive, you know, sorry to put it that way, but I don't know where she is in the picture because if his mom is still around, then your wife may not want to get into that role. She doesn't want to take that away and become another mom. Not that there's a problem with that. This works all the time in step families and things like that. But my thought around this is that because of the commitment that she made to you and your family to be a part of your family, every day I believe you should be grateful that she wants to be with you when she knows that there will be challenges not being his mom. That's another thing. You know, when I came into this relationship, I knew there would be challenges not being his dad for both of us because he's going to do something crazy as a teenager and not being his dad, I can't really lay down the law. I can't really lay down the discipline. Now that doesn't mean I couldn't adopt that role sometime. So like I said, this is very thin ice. I don't know how long you've been together. I don't know the kind of arrangement that you talked about before you got together. I don't know if she said, oh, absolutely, I want to be his stepmom and I want to be in his life. And if all of that was talked about, then that needs to be talked about again with her because that might be a real issue you're dealing with. But if it's just because you want it to happen, I would probably be more lenient on her and be super grateful that she decided to get into the relationship anyway, knowing that you basically had an infant. So there's a big commitment on her part. And uh, again, that might offend you. That might offend some people listening. Like, I can't believe you'd say that. They should automatically become a mom or, you know, whatever people think. And if I've offended you, I'm sorry. This is just a perspective from the small, tiny little sliver of information that you shared with me. And I'm making some presumptions based on what you told me. So I'm not going to belabor that point anymore. Let me go to the next point I'm going to make, which is about your money troubles. My question to you is, what is the trouble? You wrote to me and you said, you know, I have these money troubles, even though they're not real because I get paid well at work. I do need more information here. However, I'm going to, again, have to make the assumption that your money troubles might have to do with, oh, no, we're spending too much or, oh, no, we're getting into more debt. Um, Those aren't necessarily not troubles because if you get into a lot of debt, if you spend a lot of money, then you could be in trouble. However, if it always comes up as an issue for you, then I do have a question that I want you to ask yourself. In fact, this will work for almost anything in your life. When some trouble comes along and you are affected by it and you think in this example, uh, you know, I make enough money. Why can't we go out and eat a nice dinner? Why can't we buy this extra large TV screen and be better than the neighbors? Or why can't we, you know, invest more into this or spend more over here? Because we don't ever seem to run out of money. So you might have some fears inside of you. And this question 
can help you dig down and uncover those fears. And it has to do with presenting yourself with the worst case scenario. And what the question is, is what's the worst that could happen if I let it happen? And beyond that, what's worse than that? This is what I do. When I can't figure out something that's bugging me, like I'm so afraid that I'm not going to be able to pay that bill, even though I can look at my past 40, almost nine years now, and remember that every time I couldn't pay a bill, I somehow either paid it or got through it unscathed, or at least mostly unscathed. And when you have a history of references that over and over and over again, you can tell yourself, well, I made it last time, but it's still not enough. I mean, that's illogical at first, even though it still happens. It, It still happens to me with different things in my life. I still have some fears that come up, but I can look at my past and say, well, I made it through it before. That is helpful, but it doesn't really squash the feeling, but it is helpful. So if you think about it that way, the things I fear today, they've happened in the past and I made it through it. So obviously I'm going to make it through it again. And I'm kind of morbid in the sense that if I can't make it through it, I'll probably die because I'm going to try my hardest to make it through it until I'm so exhausted or dead. So again, that's a morbid perspective. I'm not asking you to take it on. I'm just saying that in my life, if it's so bad that I can't make it through it, I'm probably going to die trying. And what that does for me is tell me that I'm either going to make it or I'm not going to know that I didn't make it. (laughs) So that's my personal technique. I won't ask you to adopt that. But what you can do is ask yourself the question, and I do this too, what's the worst that could happen if I let it happen? So thinking of money, what's the worst that could happen if we buy this expensive meal tonight? What's the worst thing? I really want you to think about it. Just use that example. All right, we're going to go out tonight and we're going to spend, oh my God, I know we're going to spend over $300 on this meal. I'm hopefully exaggerating for three people. That should not be the cost, but there might be a restaurant out there that charges that much. So you're really spending a lot of money on one meal. What's the worst that could happen? Well, what is the worst that could happen? I, I spend the money and I feel like, oh my God, I can't believe we're spending so much money. Okay, what's the worst that could happen? Let's just say that you did spend all that money and you looked in your bank account tomorrow and now you have a negative balance. Oh, that's awful. That's going to feel so bad. I'm going to get charged by the bank for overdraft fee. and Oh, that's so bad. So you're going to think about this and visualize this and feel it in your body as you do it because I really want you to get to the deepest issue here. Okay, so what's worse than that? You know, that's the next question. What's worse than that? Well, um, I can't pay the overdraft fee. And what's worse than that is I get fired from work. And then suddenly we have no more money coming in. Okay, so that's the next question. Let's drill down even further. What's worse than that? Oh my God, I I don't get work. That means we might have to sell our house and we might have to sell our cars. We might have to move into something smaller. I have to get another job. Okay, so, and this is kind of a secondary question. What's so bad about that? And so now you go through another scenario. It's sort of like along those same lines of what's worse than that. But the secondary question is, what's so bad about that? And so you go through the process. What's so bad about that? Well, 
that is terrible. I don't want to move out of this house. I love this house. I love where we live. I love the people we live around and I love the car I drive and I love my job. I don't want to lose it. Yeah, but what's so bad about living in a smaller house in a different town? Well, if I live in a smaller house, I have to sacrifice some stuff and I'm going to lose my friends that are around me. Okay, so what's so bad about not having those friends? So now I'm, I mean, this could go on and on and on, but I want it to inside you. I want it to go on and on until you get to the point where you really don't have an answer. And that might be, okay, I'm living in the street. I'm in the gutters and all I have is the clothes on my back and they're really old and tattered and my wife left me and I never see my son anymore. I mean, that's pretty much where it ends up, right? And and it may not be the worst. It could get worse than that. Which are the two questions? What's worse than that? And how is that so bad? And so what you're doing is exploring all of your inner pain points. I'm going to go here and explore that pain. I'm going to go here and explore that pain. Because you're looking for some derivative fear. What's going to happen is that you're going to touch upon all these emotional negativity points inside of you. And when you touch upon one, it's going to activate something inside of you that connects with some sort of past trauma or event. And that past trauma or event might be brought to light because as you're going through this, I also want you to think about your past, your childhood. What happened in childhood that feels like this? It's another good question. As you get these feelings that come up from all these worst case scenarios, you ask yourself, what in childhood feels like this or felt like this because when I think about my marriage and how I was so judgmental and I saw my wife emotional eating and I got angry about that emotional eating I would go through some scenarios in my mind okay what's going to happen if she continues and she gains weight then I feel like I won't be attracted to her and then I feel like she doesn't love me she loves food and I have all these thoughts and I ask myself okay what's so bad about that let's just say she's gains weight and you're not attracted to her anymore how is that a bad thing And I will come up with some answers and then I'll ask myself, what's the closest thing in childhood that felt like that? And when I did this, I came up with some interesting answers. One of them was when I saw my stepfather drinking. I mean, that's how it started. When I saw my wife emotional eating her addiction, that reminded me of a time in childhood that felt like when I saw my stepfather drinking and When I made that connection, it was super helpful toward my healing because then I could say, this isn't about my wife, emotional eating. This isn't about her at all. This is about me and my responses and what I brought into the relationship and how I became so critical and judgmental and wanting people to be perfect and abide by my standards and do everything that I wanted them to do so that I can control my environment because I had no control in my childhood. I just had to give in and submit to the fear. And then in my adult life, I thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I turned things around and I became, excuse me, a B-A-S-T-A-R-D. I was, I mean, sometimes I was typically a nice guy. I think most people that I dated say, no, he was really nice, except every now and then. (laughs) But you get the point. When you make these connections, You start to understand yourself more. You start to understand where the fears and insecurities and all the negativity derives, originates from. And when you know that, the healing starts all by itself. 
there's still work to do, but the first step in the healing process starts. What else felt like this? That's a good question too. What else feels like this? Or what else felt like this as a child? You know, you ask yourself these questions to make the neural associations so that you can start the process of healing. Doesn't mean everything is going to be resolved in one night, but when you travel this path, what it ends up doing is taking you out of the present moment that you're focused on and you think it's all about and puts you in a different state of mind that gives you the opportunity to take responsibility for your trigger, for your challenge. So with this person who wrote the email, I think I call him John, John can't point at his wife, can't point at anyone else, can't point at his son and say, this is the reason I feel this way. He has to point at his own past. You have to. You have to point at your own past because this is the negativity or trauma or unhealed emotional wounds that you brought into the relationship. And so to resolve that, you have to make the connections first and the drilling down and finding out what's worse than that, what's worse than that, and then asking yourself, well, how is that a problem or why is that so bad or how is that so bad? That allows you to reconnect with a past that you may not be associating to the present And once you do, you have an opportunity to take responsibility for that present and be aware of your responses and your behavior and hopefully stop yourself, in John's case, from dissociating. Hopefully stop yourself from disconnecting from yourself because you're doing the work now. Because John's dissociation might be, I can't handle it, it's overwhelming, I'm going to disconnect and whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to fly off the handle. And doing the work hopefully prevents that or at least chips away at it so it doesn't become the primary response. So John, I hope this is helpful. You did mention your autism and the only thing I have to say about that is um, you said your autism caused you not to be able to tell the difference between bullying and banter. This might actually have something to do with how you process information. I mean, I get that. Sometimes my girlfriend has a, a difficult time understanding sarcasm because she takes a lot of things literally, um, probably everything literally. And it's been very hard for her to live with someone like me who can sometimes be sarcastic, not in an insulting way toward her, but just, I, I think I'm trying to be funny. And uh, when she doesn't understand it, she can't figure out what the heck I'm saying. It doesn't make sense to her for me to say something sarcastic about anything because she takes it literally. She doesn't know the difference. She wasn't brought up that way. Everything was very direct in her family from what I found out. (laughs) And so they had direct conversations without the use of sarcasm. So she didn't develop that um, observation muscle. And so she realized this because she took so many things the wrong way growing up in her life that when we started dating, she couldn't figure out my sarcasm. She couldn't figure out my sense of humor. And so She had to ask, and this is what she learned to do with me. She decided to just ask. And that's my only advice for you with your autism, if that's the case. When you can't tell the difference between banter and bullying, just ask. Now, the question you might ask is, what do you mean by that? That's a good question. What do you mean by that? Or, I don't understand. Can you explain what you're saying? Or, are you serious or are you just joking? Just put yourself in the spotlight because it's going to feel a little funny because everyone else is bantering and you don't know how to take it. So you might have to ask, wait a minute, explain that to me. Are you just messing around or are you serious? 
And then people will get used to you not understanding what they're saying, at least at certain times, and your friends will be understanding. If they're not your friends, they probably won't be understanding. If they are your friends, they'll get it. I mean, they're going to love you no matter what. And they'll ask you why you can't get the difference. And you'll say, no, I, I really can't. And it just doesn't become a big deal. So don't say, oh, it's my autism. I can't figure it out. You don't have to say that. You could just ask a question. Uh, what do you mean? Are you, are you serious about that? Or what do you mean by that? Just ask. That's what my girlfriend has done. She asked the question, are you serious? Are you being literal? That's what she asked me. And it's helped. It's been a huge help because then she says, oh, so when you say it that way, you're being sarcastic or you're being funny, which totally takes the wind out of my sails <laughs> because I want her to laugh when I'm being funny, or at least I think I'm being funny. And she doesn't because she doesn't get it. And then when she finally understands what I said, she goes, oh, that's not that funny. And then I have to just swallow my pride and it's okay. And it's fine because it's not her fault that she can't get it. It's up to me to communicate it in a way that she can get it. So I take responsibility for that. So I hope this makes sense. Thank you so much for writing, John. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and my goodbyes. And then my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Native. Go to nativedeodorant.com and when you purchase, use the promo code BRAIN and get 20% off your first purchase. I know you're going to be a convert just like us. Nativedeodorant.com. Use the promo code BRAIN during checkout. And I want to thank the iTunes reviewer, uh, Mega Hottie. <laughs> That's their iTunes handle. I'm just reading them as I see them. Um, this person says, one of my favorite podcasts, I am ready to break up with my selfish, emotionally abusive dude that I'm seeing for over a decade. Well, congratulations, mega hottie. You're going to make it happen. You're going to take responsibility for your life and you're going to do things that are healthy for you so that you can do some detoxing when you get out of that relationship. So thank you for sharing that. And I wish you much strength through this and thank you for the review. I appreciate you. I also want to thank the patron supporters that support this show over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Like I say every episode, they are the backbone. They are the financial support that keeps this show going. If you have any interest in supporting the show, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you'll have the option to join as a member or just give a one-time donation. Totally up to you. And I would like to say hello and thank you to our newest supporter, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thank you to all patron members who are continuing to support the show. I appreciate you. And let me remind anyone listening that I do have another podcast called Love and Abuse. You don't have to be in an abusive relationship to get something from that show. I think it uh, covers a lot of relationship difficulties. And I think you'll agree. Head over to loveandabuse.com. That's also the official podcast of the Mean Workbook on emotional abuse and manipulation. So if you are having difficulties in your relationship, loveandabuse.com is where you can hopefully take the first step to improve it. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And my final thought will be fairly short because the holidays are coming up as this episode is being recorded. If you're listening to this after the holidays or you don't celebrate these holidays, I still think this is probably valid for any time of year. 
because it involves when you are in family gatherings and you have differing opinions and politics is a heavy topic at the time of this recording and other things that maybe you have disagreements with with family and because of that you're going to have discussions that you probably don't want to get into i just talked about this uh, probably on another episode but as a reminder when you get into these discussions remember what fuel feeds their fire and what i mean by that is If you know that so-and-so is a Democrat and you're a Republican or they're pro-life and you're pro-choice, I mean, whatever comes up that you know is always a thorn in your side for discussion, remember the fuel that feeds their fire. So if they say, well, you should vote Democrat and you say, well, you should vote Republican and this is why, you know that's going to fuel the conflict. You know that is going to continue the conversation And it is almost impossible to have one or both people step back and step down off their position. So it's up to you, (laughs) yes, you, to take a step back. Why do I say that? What if you're right? What if everything you're saying is absolutely spot on? Because what do you want more than conflict? You want connection or at least getting along or getting through the gathering or the situation. If you know there's going to be conflict, it does involve one of you stepping back. And if you're listening to this now, make that you. That's hard. (laughs) It might be impossible because you know they're going to give you crap. You know they're going to try to convince you that they're right. And they're going to tell you that you need to agree with them. There are definitely people like that in our lives. And I'll tell you how I handle them, and I'm not saying that it's the best way or the most ethical way, (laughs) but it is the most peaceful way in my life. And if you've been listening a while, you've probably heard me say this, but when somebody comes along and says, you need to vote this way, and you need to think about this religion, and you need to think about what happens to babies when they're born. I mean, when any of this kind of conversation comes up, All I do is take a stance of curiosity. That's all I do. I don't say you're right. I don't say I'm right. I become suddenly so fascinated in their point of view that I start asking them questions. I put them on the soapbox. I put them in the spotlight and I not grill them, but I ask them questions as if what they're saying is the most fascinating thing on earth because Quite frankly, it is. (laughs) When they have an opposing opinion about something that I believe, it's more fascinating to me. I want you to be fascinated by that. When they say, you should vote this way, and -and so-and-so has done amazing things for the city or the state or the country or the world, and you don't agree at all, you go, why, you think so? That could be one of your questions. Or if you think that might offend them because you've had arguments about it before, You can say something like, you know, I really want to learn more about that. Why do you feel that way? And ask them out of curiosity, not to try to paint them in a corner because they might even think that, oh, you're just trying to paint me in a corner. So I'll say something and then you can respond to that and attack me. And you can say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I really am curious because I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking about, here's a good one. I've been thinking a lot about what you've said. We've had a lot of conversations on this and I'm really open to learning more. Ah, that's tough. (laughs) That's a tough one because you probably want to say, no, you're wrong. 
I'm really open to learning more. I really want to know your position because you're so passionate about it and you seem so sincere. And I know that you're a good person with good values. So maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, there's one, right? You actually compliment them because maybe they are a good person with good values and that you can't figure out why they think that way. So if you can't figure out why somebody thinks that way, why wouldn't you want to ask questions on why they think that way? Not in an attacking manner, but in a very fascinated, curious manner. I really want to know why you think that way. And then you can say, so you believe that his or her policy on this is going to help the middle class, you know, if it's politics, or so you believe that using fishing nets is okay because it catches enough food to help hungry people or whatever the topic is. But what you're doing is reiterating what they're saying, showing them that you're listening to them. And here's what happens a lot. I would say more times than not. When you finally give someone that you've been opposing for a long time, the time to explain, they themselves will feel very vulnerable that they now have the floor. Some of them, some people don't, but some people will because now you're asking them questions that they have to face themselves, facing their own beliefs and confronting their own values and explaining to you in a way that forces them to evaluate their own convictions. Because it used to be, when before, if you don't use this method, when you argued, it used to be them having to convince you. And it was a lot easier for that fire to grow hotter and hotter because it was easier to oppose you than to actually explain their own beliefs and values. So become curious, become fascinated, ask questions and see where they go with it. And it may be hard because they may be truly offending you. They may be saying things about you that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. So it does involve you, like John said, maybe dissociating from yourself a little bit, maybe not allowing old triggers to come up, maybe stepping back and just staying open and staying curious and being curious and being fascinated so that you can learn more about them. Because worst case scenario is that they give you so much information that they start to contradict themselves. And that happens too. It may not happen all the time, but there are some people that just talk to talk. I'm just going to talk to talk because I want to hear myself. I want to be right in this situation. I want to make you wrong in this situation. So when you let someone talk and talk and talk, you know, when it comes to conflict and relationships, you get to find out just how far they're willing to go to say their piece and see if they just come full circle and see if they're actually making sense and reinforcing what they've already said before and coming up with more reasons, and maybe they'll finally help you understand why they believe what they believe, or you're going to make them realize that what they're saying is really just fluff and really just reiterated information from someone else. And inside your mind, you can just laugh. (laughs) You can just laugh. Oh, so really, there's no use arguing with this person anyway, because their information is very, very spotty, not fact checked. Not not even worth my time. So I'll just appease them for now. Let them think they're right or let them think they've got the upper hand because it's really not worth my time. How much time do you want to spend arguing with someone who really doesn't have a case at all? All they're doing is wanting to feel right so you'll feel wrong or wanting to feel superior so you'll feel inferior. It's just not worth it. 
So I hope this helps as you go to any gatherings coming up in the holidays or coming up anytime you're listening to this. The whole point is just to keep an open mind. This will help you step into your power so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions. That will help you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.